0: Will, will love that. But also kicking the ball away won't love this because he's going to get a yellow card for that. He needs to calm down. So Genio Odess, right, just pull him out of there at this point. I mean, Gio's got bare hug him and drag him away. Things did he, did, bubbled did, over. Did he get a second yellow? Tim Ream just saying, what are you doing? And I just can't imagine what he he's arguing about. Look at Gio Reyna's reaction says it all. Even Tim Ream. they're They're incredulous.
1: On ESPN Plus, alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar for what is episode 303 of this show. We're coming to you in the moments immediately after the United States falls 2 to 1 away to Trinidad and Tobago in the second leg of a CONCACAF Nations League quarterfinal. Good thing the first leg finished 3 0 in Austin, Texas. So the U.S. moves on by an aggregate score of 4 to 2. Herc, is that enough for you to wipe away the ghosts of Cuba?
2: Uh. <laughs> Almost. How you doing, Corporate Seb? Look at this. We got Corporate Hi. Seb in the house. He's wow. all business tonight because I think he's dropping—oh, he's not. Never mind. Mm. He's dropping the hammer. He came to play. Mm. Okay, my bad. My bad.
1: What's up? What's up over there, uh, Wolfsburg?
2: Wolfsburgo! You know, they, uh, there's, there's a, a kid who just uh, got, a. Mm-hmm. I think, his second cap with the U.S. Men's National. And going through a hard time. I thought he needed a, a bit of support, so I came out to support
1: Good friend of the program there, Kevin Paredes. All right, we got uh, lots to get to on this episode 303. Casey Keller going to join us in just a few seconds, obviously, to talk about the United States, the team at large, but also the goalie situation, something he knows quite a bit about. We're going to hear from Mauricio Pedrosa as well. Mexico, of course, coming off a big loss in the first leg of their Quarterfinal against Honduras second leg tomorrow. We'll preview that. The U.S. women's national team has dropped their latest roster ahead of the December friendlies against China. Big omission there. No Alex Morgan uh, on the list. We'll talk about the under-17 World Cup, Herc, both the United States and Mexico, through to the knockout rounds. And now we know where the Copa America final is going to be. Also where the opener is going to be. So we'll talk about that towards the end of the show. But uh, let's start with the U.S. men's national team in action. Leg two of the CONCACAF Nations League quarterfinal down in Trinidad. Not in Cuba, not in Cuba, where six years ago they famously lost, this time in Port of Spain. Three minutes in, Brendan Aronson, the shot here. Denzel Smith, the save.
2: Watch this little turn right here. I thought he could have slipped it to Ricardo Pepe. He opts for the shot. Took a shot, better save.
1: Few minutes later, U.S. on the attack again. It's gonna be Brendan Aronson again. And it's gonna be Denzel Smith again. Shades of young Shaka Hislop.
2: Yeah, there you go. He wants to open up the hip right there. Maybe should have struck it with the left foot. Opens up the body, shows a little bit too much of the ball. Another Brendan Aronson involvement.
1: US knocking on the door. They break through in the 25th minute. Serginho des to Anthony Robinson.
2: Yeah, no backflip this time. It's a little bit more professional there. It looks like a pregnancy in the house. Congratulations. This is a great header. It's a very brave header, 1-0 US.
1: Things go sideways here in the 38th minute. Serginho Des not very happy. He punts the ball into the stands. Okay, so that's definitely going to get you a yellow card. We see that there. Serginho Desk can't quite back off it, though. He gets a second yellow. That's a red and her
2: key gown. Look at the body language of his teammates. Look at this. Look at Tim Ream. Look at, look at Turner. Let him have it. Anthony Ross. What are you doing? And from there, Trinidad and
1: Tobago would strike Rion Moore.
2: Yeah, this is a tough one. Uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers leads him away. He's got very little anger. Watch Matt Turner slip here. This is on Turner. It's unlucky. He slips right here. Good body right there on Cameron Carter-Vickers. It's the right foot, and you're going to see it right here. His right foot is going to slip in that turf. And he can't get it, gets beat near post. All right, this
1: point still four to one on aggregate. Alvin Jones. Remember, he scored in Cuba in 2017. Another banger.
2: Yeah, he was involved in the own goal. Of Omar Gonzalez involved in this banger. This one was on Turner.
1: There it is. The final score in Port of Spain. Trinidad and Tobago 2, US one. The aggregate score over the two legs, US four, Trinidad and Tobago 2. Joining us for more a member of, count them, four World Cup teams with the United States, our good friend and colleague, Casey Keller. Uh, Casey, I want, I want to discuss the performance. I really do. But I can't get over what Serginho Dest did as the uh, older of the old school guys on this panel. I know you got no time for what we saw tonight from the American right back
3: no I have absolutely no time for it for me it's 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 unacceptable and and, and you really uh inexcusable I mean I like Sergio. I had a good talk with him this summer uh, during during the after the semifinal uh, I love that you know he's trying to put his club career you know back together after the difficulties at Barcelona I mean but I have no idea what what's possibly was going through his head Look, okay, okay he's is he upset that it was a foul? Was he upset that the ball was called out of bounds? Was he just, okay, then then he loses his mind and punts the ball away to get a stupid yellow card, but then just sit back and go, you know what? Okay, calm down. There's there, there's no reason to continue this. And then he's fighting with his teammates because they can't believe what he just did. Uh, I, I don't know where this goes down to. I, you know, he's obviously going to have uh, a lot of work to do to get back into his teammates' graces, his coaching staff's graces, the fans' graces. Luckily for him, it was a game against a team that didn't punish him from it. But you do this in a different scenario and against a different opponent, and it could have had significant consequences for U.S. soccer. Kirk, you think
1: it's going on the Instagram reel?
2: <laughs> and that's a thing, right? Um He's an easy target now. There is no team in CONCACAF or beyond that is not going to look at the past year of Serginho Dest, Nations League, this last time in Las Vegas versus Mexico, where Mm -hmm. he gets ray-carded, this moment now, and think, this isn't an easy target for us. Get under his skin. This man is a liability. His teammates, the reactions, they say it all. Case, he was upset that there was a play up the field on the right-hand side that he felt there was a foul on him and was not called. So what does he do when he thinks he saved the ball and they call it out of bounds? He kicks it and gets a yellow. But he immediately blows kisses at the ref and then puts his hand over his face while he talks to the ref. Listen, my guy, anytime you have to put your hand over your face, it's not good. That's so the crowd doesn't hear what you're saying. What do you think's going to happen if you're doing it to the referee? It was one of the most boneheaded plays I've ever seen in my life. Not just in the US men's national team. I am dumbfounded. I can't think of a stupider play by a professional athlete in my time. And yeah. what's worse is you put your team in a very compromising position. It was 2 to 1. A man down, playing away from home where the U.S. men's national team is absolute garbage under Greg Berhalter. Your goalie is now without confidence, lets in a howler. You're giving up 1v1 situations. And your coach is still playing with two strikers and no midfield depth, no midfield help. It could have gone awry very quickly, as Kay said, if it was another team. It was one of the most surreal things I've seen in quite some time.
1: Mm. Yeah, he had, a, he had a bunch of chances to walk away, didn't he? And his teammates told him he had to walk away. That, that I think, was the toughest part. I guess from some point you could maybe argue that there's some experience gain there. Like, it was 4 nothing aggregate. When he does it, he puts the team in jeopardy, Herc, as you say. But at some point, you might have a red card in the first half of a game, and you might have to survive a long time with 10 men. The U.S. eventually, they lose the game today, but they survive overall. So maybe there's some experience gain here. Casey, if you're one of those veteran teammates— what are you saying to Serginho Dest now? Because this is not a guy that you're going to replace in the U.S. lineup. This is a guy who, whether right back or maybe further up the field, right wing, is usually going to be in this 11 one
3: way or another. So, so what do you say to him as, as a veteran experienced teammate? Well, that's a really good question because I don't know what to say without just blowing a top. You know, I mean, uh, because obviously his teammates were were not happy on the pitch at the time. I can only imagine that's going to get worse behind closed doors later. I mean, the only thing that we don't know, and I guess we may hear about this later, is does Des just completely beg for forgiveness once everybody comes back into the locker room? And just claim an outer body experience and it'll never happen again but then if you try to defend that your actions it's only going to make it worse because other pros are just going to look at you and go exactly what Herc said you're a liability going forward and we don't know if we can trust you in difficult situations and you know does this mean a, a talented U.S. player now is going to be a question mark on squads coming forward on Greg Balter's decisions when it's not like we're not not Argentina, we're not Brazil, we're not France. We don't have a 50-deep team that you can just pull the next guy and say, great, here's an awesome opportunity for you. So missing key players is always difficult, but then missing a key player for these reasons, not just, okay, there's an injury or there's something going on, but for these reasons, that's... That's tough. That's a really really tough thing to swallow and you know and then and then the other point I think that you were alluding to was why is your is your is your kind of your your tactics not changing? Why are you not dropping into a 4-4-1 saying we've got a four-goal lead or at least when you concede the first one you got a three-goal lead. Let's just let's defend properly if we have the odd chance to counterattack great but the opportunities they gave Trinidad to get more into this game blew me away as well. Mm. Yeah, that, it, that's the thing. I'll get to
2: Greg Berhalter in a second because he deserves some attention here. But you mentioned this experience, Seb. I don't have a problem if you go into a hard tackle, make a rash decision, and it's a man down. It happens to all teams. Or you, you pick up a second yellow, trying to stop a break, whatever the case may be. This was, <laughs> and Case was talking to me before, self-inflicted. Sergio Dest shouldn't have been in this position. He put his team in this position. And then the goal on this kid, as he's walking off, as his teammates are letting him have it, he's sitting there talking back to them. God knows what he's saying. Think it's, it's excusable. As Matt Turner pushes him away, get off the field, he literally turns around, and I guarantee you, in his in his mind, or what he said was, get your hands off me, and then something to him. It's it's mind-boggling how how this kid is so numb mentally. This isn't the first time. If there's one knock on Serginho desk, it's that he's a space cadet. He doesn't think at times. This can hurt you. This luckily did not hurt you in the way of going forward. But some of those players' case who, who were projected to play maybe 45 minutes, who thought they would have a professional performance and go back to a congested calendar and say, you know what? I'm not too depleted. Are now not going to be sitting there in the locker room. What the hell did I just get myself into? What the hell did I just experience?
3: Hmm. hmm. Yeah, yeah. There it is. Yeah, no question. Yeah, the, Yeah. they're going to be stuck in that situation just going, uh, here we go again, right? And then, and then not only do you have that, take the knock-on effect with that. Now it's your club coming to you and saying, "You really need to go back for this kind of stuff." You need to, we're, and then they make it more difficult for you to uh, to be a part of your national team because of crazy stuff like this. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how this is going to play out long term. But it's definitely not good, and not something that we all should be talking about right now either. Mm-hmm. You know, we mm-hmm. should be talking about other things, not not this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, because you can go into this kind of environment and and what we should be talking about really in this kind of environment was the very good start to the match. Being on the front foot, you know, Smith made a couple really nice saves for Trinidad or it could have got early. You got a good opening goal. Now let's see the professionalism of this team going forward and in a way with a tricky pitch and all this kind of stuff. And instead we're talking about this stuff. Uh, Herc, if we look at the 180 minutes as a whole, right? Because let's,
1: let's look at this 90, which is mostly a man down, and then let's look at the first 90, which is mostly a man up. How do you think Greg Burhalter handled the different situations? And what do you think of his tactics in the two games, given that they were both very different and called for very different things? How did he manage... These games, because this is different than the last two windows, which were a couple friendlies. This were real competitive matches with something on the line.
2: Yeah. Uh, Even those friendlies, the Greg Berhalter second era, the 2.0, let's talk about it for a second, right? Five games. Uh, He's won four, lost one, and that was against Germany. Uzbekistan, that 3-0 win that didn't really feel like a 3-0 win. Do you remember that? Oman, Mm -hmm. okay, they rolled over him. And then you had the second game, I think it was uh, Germany and Ghana. It, It didn't really feel like complete performances. The scorelines were there, but it didn't feel complete. The same thing can be said about Trinidad and Tobago in the States, about Trinidad losing 3-0, and you get your first goal in the 82nd minute. Hell, you got your first shot on goal in the 55th minute. You played a 4-2-2-2, drove me crazy. It drives me crazy (laughs) when coaches think they're smarter than they need to be. I'll just move these pawns, I'll move these pieces, and these players will react this way. That was the first mistake. Then... It's not saying, you know what, this didn't work. Scratch that at halftime. Malik Tillman, Kevin Perez, I'm sorry I put you in those positions. Out. Let's take a breather. Let's get Ricardo Pepe in. Let's get Brendan Aronson in. And when he did that and they moved into 4-4-2 or a variation of that, they looked good and ended up scoring three quick goals towards the end. But that could have hurt you. Like, imagine if that game was a 1-0 result or a 0-0 could have easily been a frustrating game and now you come into this game and this happens it would have been disastrous. Now this game Case you touched upon it right I mean two blocks two defensive blocks a 4-4-1 take a striker out defend nobody's going to say what are you doing defending against Trinidad in this situation everybody will know will understand because of the circumstances thought he took too long I, I don't know why he took Giovanni I can see let me rephrase that. I can see why he took Giovanni Reyna out in this game, given his history, given his his uh, lack of being able to be fit throughout a course of a season. What and I he's don't the player's
1: sacrifice when they go down a man.
2: Yes. What I don't understand is why you don't sacrifice another nine with him. Why you don't say, I don't need two nines there. This does me no good. I need midfield depth. I need to strengthen that block. I need to manage the situation.
1: Casey, there was a lot of excitement online when the lineup came out. We saw Pepe and Balogun in there together. What do you think of the notion, just the fact that, that Greg Berhalter decided to go with two up top, and then for the brief time that we truly saw it in full effect, what did you think? Is it a viable option moving forward?
3: Well, not on, not on the evidence of today's performance, um, and uh, which I mean, again, let's not. I, I, I think again, I think when you look at both these matches, the way we. You know, you've been analyzing it. Is yeah, you play a certain amount of time with the man down with the team packed in. Then you play another certain amount of time with your guy getting sent off. So it, it's not a fair representation, but I would have loved to see an interaction a little bit better between the two. I didn't really see a lot of combination play. I didn't see, like, either of them quite understood where they were going to run. Was one going to check, was going to run off? Was I, I, I didn't see any kind of... Uh, Cohesiveness in, in that front line. Now, there was moments when when Aronson I think started the game well, and he kind of came inside, had a couple of shots. I agree, Herc, with, with your analysis of the opportunity from Aronson. If he had looked up, he just slides the ball over to Pepe for a tap in. That would have made more sense. Uh, Balogun, I just I didn't see a lot in the two games, to be honest. Um, and, and, and what I need to see from a player and what, what I think what you're going to learn from this. And I know it's a little false because it's not like the U.S. has to go through a qualifying season with, you know, eight, nine away games in, in difficult CONCACAF conditions. But I saw a player that was kind of like, well, these aren't the pitches I'm used to in Europe. This isn't hmm. the refereeing I'm used to in Europe. And 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 and, and it just he didn't look. As, as I saw him play in some of the friendlies. So, yeah, I think there's still some question marks up there. And then the same thing with Pepe. We keep talking, hey, look at way he plays when he comes on as a sub. Well, I didn't see that from the start of the game. So then it kind of goes back to that justification. Yeah, maybe he's just a better player in the last 20 minutes for us because when you get that opportunity to finally start, then show everybody this is why I should have been starting from the front. And I didn't see that from Pepe today either.
2: Yeah, mm. Steph, can we talk about that for a second? I mean, this formation, uh, because it's it's two strikers up top, right? But it's not traditional wingers. It almost looks like a diamond, if you will. At times, it looks like Gio Reyna's leaning to the right, and he's got free room to come in, and it's Brendan Aronson being more active, Serginio Des providing the width, right? But those two strikers up top, not only were they not uh, cohesive, not only did they lack that chemistry, uh, but... Farah and Balogun looked too eager. The the opening 15, 20 minutes, I saw him on the ball. He was losing a lot of the possession. He was getting into the midfield. He was dropping back. He was trying to get on the ball himself and do things that... I don't want him doing. His bread and butter is his movement. Stay with Ricardo up top. Let the creative players like a Giovanni Reina, like a Sergio Des, like a Luca della Torre, let those players, Eunice Musa, facilitate, find the open spaces for you. I don't need him dropping back there. Uh, that, to me, uh, was a bit of a, a head-scratcher. And I hate what Casey said. I hate what he said because he's right. And this is the problem with it. Ricardo Pepe... When you start doing so well as a substitute, you get typecast as that super sub. Maybe he's better as a super sub. It's one of those situations that I wish you would have bagged one early to put that to bed. Because right now, that's what people are going to say. That's the narrative. It's going to be a narrative of whatever happens to Foller and Balogun. But maybe it's just Ricardo Pepe's better as a substitute player, which I'm not trying to buy into, but is out there.
1: All right. So we've talked a lot about the uh, individual performances. One position we haven't talked too much about, although I think Herc, you mentioned it uh, in there, Matt Turner, the goalie, who we know has been dropped by Nottingham Forest. Casey. Now, anybody who's watched this show knows how Hercules Gomez uh, thinks about situations like this, right? Goalies not playing.
2: Goalkeepers aren't Goalies human. not
1: playing. Doesn't matter. They're good to go. Uh, obviously, this is significant, Casey. How big a worry is this uh, from a national team perspective? Matt Turner has been dropped at Nottingham Forest.
3: Well, it's obviously, it's not ideal. I mean, you love the idea that he made the move to go get regular first-team football, and then, you know, eight, ten games into that move, he's no longer getting first-team football. At a club, you know, significantly... you know i don't want to say less because nottingham forest is, is a really big club but obviously haven't had the history of arsenal over the last 20 30 years and so you know you're looking at that and you're saying okay is there a confidence issue obviously didn't have anything to do in the first game and you know the first goal i look at and i think you know if as if i got beat from that angle yes i'd be disappointed were there circumstances involved good strike you mentioned the slip you know, all that. Yes, but this is the one then, you know, you're frustrated, right? You, you can't give that up because then that puts that little bit more pressure on the whole match. Uh, and, and it is. It's, it's something that the U.S. is, is going to have to look at. But I think right now, is there anybody that really has any chance of actually pushing Matt if he's playing or not? And that's going to have to develop because when Matt came into the squad, there was no expectation that he was going to be able to push anybody out for that position. So sometimes it's opportunities show themselves. And is there somebody there to take it that we don't know of yet?
2: That's the thing, Zev. That, that, that's what has me worried or would have me worried if I'm a U.S. Men's National Team fan. Is who's going to take him, right? Who, who, who's going to take that man or push him? I think we're going through the worst generation of American goalkeepers in our modern history. And why I say that is, you look at the list of great goalkeepers of the past, and we got one sitting right here in front of us, Casey Keller. And Casey Keller had a fight time with Brad Friedel, with Tony Miola. Jurgen Sommer was, was thrown in there. Then it was, you know, Tim Howard. And Tim Howard had... Brad Guzan, even though he wouldn't play behind him, but Brad Guzan was a starting goalkeeper in the Premier League. And Mm -hmm. Nick Romando, one of the best goalkeepers that's ever played in the history of Major League Soccer. So you you go through the list and you're sitting here, where are the others? You know, where's Ethan Horvat? You know, where's Zach Steffen? You know, he's a clear cut number one, and I'm not trying to say anybody should take it from him, but it shouldn't be that easy. If he has a bad moment, it should be like, hey, what? You know what? A refresher, go back, sit down, let's take a breath, next one gets their opportunity. Maybe that fuels a fire in him. But I really do think, and not just at the U.S. level, but in CONCAF today, there is a, there are lack of goalkeepers in this region. There are lack of goalkeepers in the States when that used to be the best position.
1: Mm. Casey, what's your explanation? What's happened to American
3: goalies? I think what you have to look at more than what's happening to American goalkeepers right now was the anomaly of what happened with American goalkeepers 15, 20 years ago. Uh, You know, in that conversation, the person that you didn't mention, Herc, was looking at Marcus Hanneman who played 400 games in England. You're Uh, right. He's going to kill me. I mean, mean, Marcus Marcus right now would be be starting in the Premier League Mm -hmm. and going, oh, I I wish I didn't have you know one of his best friends myself ahead of him or you know are you know, from Brad or Tim or whoever else and, and you're and you're just sitting there just going you know, wow, that would be a competition that you would love to see. But, yeah, it is. It, it's, it's, it's an interesting scenario. And it, it's a, a position that, you know, the U.S. didn't have to worry about for the longest time. In fact, it was a, a, a position that actually sometimes made things more difficult because the difficulty of having to try to keep everybody happy that deserved to play. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating. But, look, let's, but it's, it can't be any more frustrating than for Matt Turner. You know, to to think that he'd got to Forest, he got off to a good start. Uh, they made the signing, you know, to bring in the Greek goalkeeper as well. Let's not forget Greek owner. Um, and and then when 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 the blip happened, then he lost his spot. So, but Matt, look, Matt's a great kid. Matt's a great guy, and and I wish him the best, and hopefully he can, you know, very quickly get back. In, in, into starting for Nottingham Forest. And then, you know, put this game behind him because look, we've all been there. And the nice part about having a bad game in goal is when you have a bad game and, and it doesn't affect the result. Because this is a result over two games, not losing 2-1 in this game, it doesn't mean anything. But the fact that then you could just go through, get to the semifinal, and, and the mistakes didn't cost your team. Mm. All right, there he is, Casey Keller, a member of four U.S. World Cup teams,
1: and our good friend here on Football Americas. Casey, thanks for staying up late with us. Appreciate the time, and we'll see you back here on the show very soon. Thanks, guys. There he is, Casey Keller, a frequent contributor here on Football Americas. All right, let's move on to Mexico had uh, their first leg against Honduras on Friday night and got off to a real rocky start. Memo Cho off his line early, gets clattered into, and Herc would have to leave the game injured uh, about 15 minutes later, replaced by Luis Malagón.
2: Yeah, it's Choco Lozano, just a clash of injuries right there. It looks like he got a stinger on that shoulder. He would come out and things would go bad.
1: 30th minute, Luis Palma into the box for Choco Lozano and it's 1-0
2: Honduras. Yeah, this ball's played behind Luis Palma. It's a great look, but what is Cesar Montes doing here? Choco Lozano with just a delicate of finishes.
1: Honduras up 1-0. Three minutes after the goal, Lozano again and Malagón makes the big save. Alright, good save, bad finish. You decide, Seb. Uh, Good save. Let's give it to him. He Uh, needed it there. Okay. First half stoppage time, Honduras almost get a second. Jesus uh, Gallardo here off the line.
2: Yeah, Luis Palma takes a touch. It escapes him, but luckily for him, he reaches it. And this may have not been going in. Gallardo doesn't want to take any chances.
1: Late in the second half, Honduras still up one nothing. Jorge Alvarez to Brian Roches, 2-0.
2: Roches, okay. The nutmeg on Edson and Roches, watch him spin Johan Vasquez like a top right here. Whoop! And then it's over.
1: Honduras, 2 nothing winners in the first leg, second leg Tuesday in Mexico City at El Estadio Azteca. Great to welcome into the show now our good friend and colleague, Mauricio Pedrosa. You can see him five days a week on ESPN Deportes. We're uh, alongside with Hercules Gomez. He hosts on Unca Mao, great to have you with us on the show. Let's dive right in here. Who do you think uh, bears the primary responsibility for the first leg defeat in Honduras? Many people in the Mexican press are signaling Jimmy Lozano.
4: Uh, Great to see you guys. Great to be here. Uh, It all starts and ends with the manager, usually. And that's how we like to break down games like that. I don't think that's the case. Uh, Regardless of who would have coached this team with the individual performances that we saw, maybe the end result would have been the same. So I am going to blame the players in general. Mm. It's hard just to single out someone but I was, I was very, very disappointed with the way the team handled himself. And you could hear from Edson Alvarez, one of the few players that spoke after the game. And I I thought he was very candid with this quote saying, listen, uh, we lacked personality and it started with me. And it should start with them because Edson Alvarez, maybe it is the heart and soul of this team. And his performance mm. technically, tactically, was, was very subpar. And yes, the rest of the team, was pretty much the same. So uh, we've been we've been through this many, many times. I feel like every time I come on the show is to find someone responsible for a very <laughs> poor perfor- uh, performance from the Mexican national team. Though this time, I feel like even if it was Gerardo Martino, Diego Coca, Jimmy Lozano, Jose Mourinho, whoever, the performance would have been the same because the players are on a very very and and very concerning low level.
2: Yeah, yeah. Listen, a year ago, it's been a year and you've had three coaches, right? Tata Martino, Diego Coca, Mm -hmm. now Jimmy Lozano. And the reason you're at Jimmy Lozano right now is because the players wanted it that way. They convinced the media, they convinced the federation, they convinced the powers that be that Jimmy Lozano is the man, the one who's going to take them to that next level. So if he's the man you have to prove it. You have to defend him. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Jimmy Lozano is the main culprit here. He's the one to blame because the one constant out of all these coaches are the players. The ones who didn't give that personality, who didn't go out there with that fire in their belly, were the players. The ones who didn't muster a shot on goal were the players. The ones who led a team that was in their worst generation like Honduras... Decide, we're going to take you out of San Pedro Sula, where the conditions are hot, humid, the grass is up to your knees, it's heavy, it's intimidating, it's hey, hostile.
1: Hey, was no five-star resort, buddy. That was pretty hostile, too, huh? No, no, no. But you see that field? <laughs> it was pristine.
2: And why did they take them there? Because they wanted to play football mm-hmm. against Mexico, because they mm-hmm. believed in their brand. Luis Palma, El Choco Lozano, those enduring players, dominated Mexico for 90 minutes, and that's on the players. There are many issues that Mal and I can sit here and use up talking to we're blue in the face about the federation and what's deep in the root of the problem of the Mexican football, et cetera, et cetera. But that game, that game, mm. that performance, that's on the players.
1: Okay, look, there are there are some things not to like about Jimmy Lozano, for sure. In this game specifically, I thought he froze a little bit, right? There was never a change philosophically in what Mexico was trying to do. Honduras was clearly doing something right from the very beginning of that game. Five minutes in, you could tell things were going wrong for Mexico. They never really changed until the end when you're throwing everything forward. And that's not a, that's not a tactical change. That's just desperation. So beyond that, even the subs that he does make, and he only made one at half. He probably could have made three or four and it would have been justified. The three subs yeah. he made in the second half, none of them made a difference. I mean, Mexico was closer to giving up a third at the end of this game than they were to scoring the first. Um, to Herc's point about, about being dominated, that's not an exaggeration. This was a terrible, terrible performance from Mexico who had almost 65% possession and mustered two shots on goal. Yeah, where did they right? had this that was possession a- though? Yeah, no, it's it's fair, but but to have that much of the ball and not be able to create anything um, is it, devastating for me. And, and Mao, I'm surprised that you can't pick players, that you can't name Ooh. players, Ooh. because to me, I mean, I can. to me, no, mean, to me, you... what's most frustrating is that it's the guys with the biggest names that are playing the worst. They're not. Yeah. They're not. They're not showing up and not helping the national team. They're actively hurting the national team. Edson Alvarez, the guy you're talking about. He's a Premier League starter. And he and Jorge Sanchez, who's played for Ajax and Porto, get beat two-on-one in the corner no. on, the, on the second goal by a guy who's playing play. for Olympia. What's play, going though. on? Santiago, Jimenez, Santiago Jimenez scores 13 goals in the Dutch League, scores a brace in his first-ever Champions What's League that? game, can't control the ball against Honduras. I mean, Cesar Montes, I don't know what... You, everybody wants to talk about Honduras' great goal. Cesar Montes was, was ole on that defense. Yeah, was the players, the best players for Mexico are playing very, very badly now. The biggest names.
4: But I want to... But, but here's, here's why... Here's why I did not want to give you a name. It's easier to try to find a name, one player that actually performed well. Right? So, because we can we can go spot is position by position and what is performing well in a two nothing loss where you get killed matter i mean but that's that's exactly the problem it's not only that honduras clearly dominated mexico they wanted it more i'm fine this is a sport and this is a competition you go out you compete sometimes you win sometimes you lose but at least you try and I did not see that effort from the players. And, and and the most disappointing part is this, at least to me. A month ago, we saw Mexico play Germany, and we said, yes, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is it. We mm-hmm. found it. This is the best performance we have seen from a Mexican national team yeah. in a long, long time uh-huh. against, uh-huh. A, yeah, a, a very poor <laughs> version of Germany, right? But a still Germany. And, and some of the players playing at the top t- but some players, right? Playing at top teams in the world. And now you go from that, right? You go from saying, whoa, we found our manager, we found our players, to what the hell is going on? So mm-hmm. this is the part that I go and say, as a manager, you, have, you need to have your players. Same attitude, same performance, same commitment. If it's Germany, if it's Honduras, if it's Belize, if it's Brazil, if it's Argentina, or if it's El Salvador. And we did not see that. So that's on the manager, but it's also on the players. Because, Her, and correct me if I'm wrong, you don't need a manager to tell you what involves, what entitles to play representing your country. Yeah. If you need a manager for that, then the sport is not for you. Yeah. And that's what the players showed on Friday night.
2: The reason I'm okay with Mao not naming players, because... You would name players if there's a silver lining, if there are players who had good outings. I don't think there was one player that you could say had a good outing, top to bottom, mm-hmm. who came in or who started. Not even the second goalkeeper, as producer Beto, whispering in my ear, which is true. Okay. That, that's, that's the reality. There are no silver linings in this game. This is as bad as it can get for the Mexican national team. Maybe the only silver lining was that Honduras did not score that third goal. There are away goals in this competition. (laughs) So you have to think about that now heading to the next game.
1: Producer Beto, whispering in your ear, it's like the Valentine's Day show here on uh, Football Americas. Uh, All right, so one of the very negatives from the game against Honduras, the first leg, is, of course, the injury to Memo Choa. Uh, Given that factor, Mao. How confident are you that Mexico can get the result they need tomorrow night in Azteca and advance? And if they don't
4: advance, does it mean the end for Jimmy Lozano? <sighs> it shouldn't, but it probably will. Let's re- let's just just remind everybody that even Ooh. if if Mexico does not make it against Honduras, there's still another mm-hmm. repechage, another shot at Mexico. for Mexico to qualify for Copa America. So let's remember just one thing. The one scenario in which a manager, Mexican national team manager is in the hot seat if, if the business is compromised. The business of Copa America is huge for the Mexican national team and for the Mexican Soccer Federation. So if that's compromised, then Jimmy Lozano will definitely be sitting that hot seat. Now, I, that's, not, that's not ideal, because if we're going to go from manager to manager, to have four managers in the span of one year, then what are we doing here? Who's in charge of making the decisions? Because if you're, listen, if this happens, this is just a reflection on those decision makers. If you have to constantly change managers, that means that you're not qualified, you're not competent to decide who should be the the head coach of the Mexican national team. So I want to believe Jimmy Lozano will be there for the long run, but experience tells us the opposite. Hmm. If things go south against Honduras, he will absolutely be in the hot seat.
1: Now, what do you think happens on Tuesday night? You think Mexico can turn this around? Do you have any confidence after what we saw?
4: <sighs> Honestly, I don't. I think it's just, right, so this is desperate times, desperate mes- measures. Players are going to face that game with a different attitude, I hope. But here's my biggest concern. It is Estadio Azteca. And we know that that doesn't necessarily mean a home field advantage for the Mexican national team because the fans can turn on the players real, real fast. Mm. And if the performance is not there, I don't want to name the you-know-what if after a a goal kick or whatever, but the fans are going to turn on the players. And Hector Mm. Herrera said it clearly a year and a half ago, right? When that happens, we don't feel like we're playing in front of our our home fans. So, no, I'm not confident. I'm I'm not confident that Mexico can win 3-0, 4-1 4-1 and qualify directly. This looks like if things go really well for the Mexican national team, it's a 2-0, then you go to extra time, penalty kicks, and just, I'll get mm. my knees and pray. Because I have zero <laughs> confidence in this team right now.
2: Hey, it, Mark? How, how can you have confidence in them because of a friendly in which you drew? You didn't win against Germany. This Germany, by the way, who lost another friendly to Turkey at home just recently. You know, they did beat the U.S., but we're not talking about the U.S. We're talking about Germany and the game they feel good against, okay? Or good about. You have a Mexican national team right now that has shown us they cannot defend. And you want them to go out and not only score multiple goals, three, but not concede a goal. Because one goal would mean that Mexico needs to score four. Mm. And in case they don't get out of that, they then have to go play the loser of the series between Panama and Costa Rica, Mm -hmm. I would have said before all this started that if we did a power ranking, Honduras would have been worse than the two I just mentioned in Panama and Costa Rica. How can you possibly feel good about this scenario? The business, oh yeah, that's being touched. That's being troubled. The wallet. I'm not saying it's over for Mexico because we just saw the U.S. Mm. tonight versus Mm. Trinidad and anything can happen. And I think at home when they're at their (laughs) best there are a few better home teams in this region that's a reality but it's pretty close to being over and if that happens if they have to go into that playoff playoff game mm-hmm. with the costa rica with the panama i cannot begin to tell you the heads that will roll
1: yeah it was a uh, it's it's going to be a one off game if it comes to that in march in Frisco, Texas, could you imagine 90 minutes for a Spot in Copa America uh,
2: Football America's
4: Live from Frisco, and Texas. The there states. you go. And it's in the states.
2: <laughs> Advantage, mm. Advantage Mexico. <laughs>
4: uh, quickly, Mel, before
1: we let you go, because uh, we know a little bit of uh, about kind of rock bottom here in the United States. We're, we're doing a we're doing a post game show after a game in Trinidad. After all, what would the fan reaction be? What would the media reaction be if? if it came to the fact that Mexico were to miss Copa America 2024, because with no qualifying for 2026, Oof. I mean, I don't think you can put a, you cannot put a value
4: point. big enough on what Copa America Good is. Point.
1: is the Mexican national team.
4: No, absolutely. That's, that's the biggest tournament in the next three years for the Mexican national team, both yes. sports-wise, business-wise. Uh, I thought we had hit rock bottom a year ago. After being eliminated in group stage at the World Cup in Qatar, um, this would be a new low. And uh, if things went like they did after that World Cup in Qatar, uh, I would, uh, I will warn the people handling the communications department for the uh, Mexican National Federation. Now they are in this crusade against fake news and fake comments. Winter is coming. Winter Mm. is coming. And you ain't ready. You ain't ready. Oh, and of course it's gonna be Honduras that brings
1: brings about the winter. I can just see it. Albert Ellis, you know, like on a on a counter, Arasteca, who's, getting who's, that one goal. Who's John
2: Snow? And, Chino Huerta.
1: Suddenly, uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly, that's a good yeah. shot. That's a good shot. I can say that.
2: Little
4: finger right here. There you go. <laughs>
1: there he is. Uh, Mauricio Pedrosa catching five days a week over on Deportes with uh, Hercules Gomez. <laughs> on our Nunca. Mal, as always, uh, great to have you with us. All right, enough on the Mexican national team. For now, we're going to switch back over to the United States. We've got some post-game reaction. Here's Greg Berhalter after the uh, 2-1 defeat in Trinidad.
0: You know, that's not what we want to represent. That's not who we are as a group. Um, You know, we pride ourselves in staying mentally disciplined, battling through any type of conditions, whether they're they're good decisions or bad decisions. Um, You know, we're we're supposed to keep going and respond in, in an appropriate way. And that obviously wasn't the right response from Serginio. He apologized to the group. He said it's not going to happen again. Um, you know, as a, as a team, the players, the staff, we need to hold him accountable because um, it's inexcusable. It really is. And, um, you know, we're very firm with our, with our words after the game. You know, he put a number of guys in jeopardy, made a number of guys do a lot of extra work in this weather. And um, it's inexcusable. You know, according to our plan, there was going to be a lot of different things happening, right? Um, and you know, the plan gets thrown out the window a little bit when you're when you're down to ten men. Um, you know, we had Alejandro warming up; he was going to come in for, for Gio. We had Scalì coming; he was going to come in for Sogno at halftime, um, and we were going to get some other players on the field. But you know, when when that happened, it, it changed the scenario, and that's fine. Those are things you have to you have to deal with.
1: All right, Herc, so there we have Greg Berhalter's post-game comments on the red card to Serginho Dest in the U.S. 2-1 defeat against Trinidad and Tobago. Your reaction?
2: I, I'll, I'll keep it to this and to what the manager said about this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the correct reaction from the manager, right? You're mm-hmm. not throwing Came the player. Hard. Yeah. You're not throwing the player under the bus, but you're saying that we need to be held accountable and that hold each other accountable. So you're making it seem like, there are leaders on this team, and I, I do believe there are. You saw it in Ream, you saw it in Turner, you saw it in a few players, even Giovanni Reina and the way they were just disgusted with, with Dest. Uh, I'm glad that he held himself accountable and he apologized to the group, but what Greg Berhalter said about Serginho Dest putting others in a compromising position, having to mm-hmm. work harder in this type, in these type of conditions and elements, it holds true. And you heard Casey, the only club... The only club that's going to be happy with the situation is going to be PSV, who gets Sergio Bades back and rested. The rest of those clubs are going to be asking themselves or asking their players, why do you continue to go? We just saw the studies done in the Premier League with the amount of players who have gone down to injury. We're about to talk about one, Mikel Antonio. It's a congested mm-hmm. schedule right now for FIFA. I don't care what people say. They may get paid to play the game, but not at this rate.
1: Yeah, you talk about the cost for guys who had to play more. What about the guys who had to play less Zendejas. I mean, Berhalter yeah. basically says it there, had Des been able to stay on the field, and Dejas probably would've got some playing time. There's some more action out of CONCACAF. Canada and Jamaica playing their first leg just a couple days ago. Actually, they played it on uh, Saturday. It was supposed to be Friday, but there was just a crazy rain out on, uh, on Friday night. So first leg in Jamaica then on Saturday. First half stoppage time. Uh, we're going long ball here. All right, Hurricane is Gonna end up at the feet of Jonathan David. Canada, 1-0.
2: Jonathan David, there he is. Premier nine in the region, and then look at this. Turn on two players by Kyle Laren. it's too easy. I don't care how strong he is, you cannot let it be that easy. 1-0 right before half. Worst possible timing if you're Jamaica. Canada hadn't
1: won in Jamaica in 35 years. 56th minutes. Shamar Nicholson
2: tie ball game. 1988? 1988, everybody's asleep at the wheel. Not my man. Good little touch, great finish.
1: So we're all level, as Jamaica pull even in the second half. 85th minute, Canada, Richie Lorea to Steven Ostakio, two to one.
2: Yeah, Richie Leroy, who was a demon down that right-hand side all game. To Estakia, who's in great form for club and country. Absolutely tearing it with Porto. Nice little calm finish. First win in 35 years for Canada.
1: So the uh, second leg on Tuesday in Toronto, Herc. What percentage chance do you give Jamaica to pull off the comeback away
2: from home? I got to give you an extra percentage? Can I? Sure. I don't think it's happening, and it's because of what we've seen from Jamaica. Anytime I trust Mm -hmm. Jamaica, they just let me down. I trusted them in the Gold Cup, and they folded, they buckled at worst possible moments. And also, they're going to go into this game without one of their best players, Mikel Antonio, Mm -hmm. who comes out injured minute 20 of this game. Listen, Leon Bailey, uh, Damari Gray, Bobby Reed, all good players going forward, all players that can give the center backs of the Canadian National Team Vittori and Kamal Miller fits, and they did in this game. But there's just too much talent, too much cohesiveness, too much of a team on the Canadian side. And I know what you're gonna say. Well, why did John Herdman leave if this is the true with the Canadian side? Let's look at the actual official games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, forget Gold Cup, which was a, a tournament they didn't take seriously and the stars did not come out for, okay? Uh, if you look at it, it was Panama. They beat Panama, a very good Pan- Panamanian generation coming through. And then they lost to the States in the final of the CONCAF Nations League. After that, I believe, it was a game versus Japan. And everybody's losing to the Japan these days. So yep. <laughs> say what you will there. Japan is running riot on the world. It's still a very good team with extreme playmakers who are going to be playing at home, Step. I don't see... How a team like Jamaica, Sans miquel uh, Antonio, can pull this off? I don't see it happening. It, it, yeah. It's gonna—it's a tall order. It's one that I don't see happening. It would be one of the biggest meltdowns of meltdowns in Canadian footballing history if it did happen.
1: Yeah, and there's been some meltdowns. I would put it at about 10 percent or less, right? I, I don't think there's much of a chance. mikel Antonio, by the way, looks like a pretty serious injury. He's going to be out for a few months. And uh, there was a time when we looked at that Jamaica front three, Antonio now injured. Uh, Leon Bailey, Damari Gray. Damari Gray's and now made the move to Saudi Arabia for some money. Um, and Leon Bailey, man, he had at least—
2: your yeah, good looks.
1: You know, the, the XG on those two chances in the first half, it's pretty high. And it's not the first time that I've seen Leon Bailey at this level have really good chances and not finish. And if you're Jamaican, you're not going to take your chances at home— you're probably not going to take them on the road. So I got to think that Canada, up 2-1 to one, going back to Toronto on Tuesday night, are going to be able to get the job done. All right, we've talked about the men's game quite a bit here on episode 303 of Football americas Américas. Let's focus in on the women's game because the U.S. women's national team has dropped their 26-player roster for the December friendlies against China. we got a game December 2nd in Miami, well, uh, Fort Lauderdale and December 5th in Briscoe. It's the first roster since Emma Hayes uh, was named as future manager, though Twilight Kilgore is still the interim. Alex Morgan is one of 10 World Cup players not called into this list. There are two uncapped players, Jenna Nyswanger of Gotham FC. She was Rookie of the Year, part of that championship defense, and Corbin Albert, a 20-year-old from Illinois, who plays for PSG. But uh, Herc, as I mentioned, the big headline, Alex Morgan's omission. Is it something, nothing, or every?
2: Everything said. Everything. Matt Crocker's exact words: a process of change. And this is where we are. It feels like the last three years have been wasted in terms of ushering in that next generation. I mean, we we were here on this very show talking about the the Olympic Games for the U.S. women's national team, and we saw how that happened. Is because they weren't a. It should have been there. The, the change should have happened there. The generational shift for Vlako Amnaski should have happened in that tournament, or at least as soon as that tournament's over, and it didn't happen. So you're relying on veteran players. You're relying on, on these players of name. And listen, we had a situation here, I'm going to bring it up once more, where they were named the top 50 players ESPN, and you mm-hmm. threw a fit because there weren't enough American women on that list mm-hmm. of top 50. Now, yeah. I think we're both in agreement that there is a deep pool would you agree with that
1: of american players absolutely okay here's the problem
2: there's not a wide net okay Hmm. that is the issue because in this deep pool you kept relying on the likes of uh, alex morgan uh when alex morgan uh, after Mm -hmm. her great last season two years ago was maybe showing a little bit of a decline you didn't get anybody else there to push her. You started relying on the likes of bringing into a tournament um, Megan Rapinoe, Becky Sauerbrunn, then she's not available. Uh, You were waiting on Julie Ertz instead of trying to find somebody who'd be that six. So it just seems like these last three years have been a waste. You could have been looking at Jaden Shaw, Olivia Moultrie, uh, me official. who actually these players will get a chance today. Uh, Mm -hmm. You could have been ushering in the next. I think this is a signal of that happening.
1: All right, I got to disagree that it's everything. I think it's a little bit more something, right? One thing Kilgore says in her comments here that the players not called in are still very much a part of the team. Uh, Alex Morgan coming off a long season, 33 years old, makes a lot of sense to give her a break, especially when you look at the rest of the roster, right? There's a lot of, hey, let's give this person a try here. You know know what Alex Morgan is. You don't need to call her in here. Um, What I think is important to acknowledge is this is not just the first roster since Emma Hayes was named manager. Emma Hayes had a say in this roster, okay? And so Emma Hayes reportedly may be in attendance at these games or at least one of these games. And so the first time Emma Hayes is going to see her team, as her team, Alex Morgan's not going to be around. And here's the reality here. The Olympics are coming. Roster spots are at a premium. There's only 18 of them. And if Alex Morgan isn't your starting striker, then you got to ask, is she in the 18? And if she's not in the 18, that's a major big-time decision. Uh, and I said this on the website just a couple days ago. It's going to be the first for Emma Hayes. It is, it is the biggest decision that she will have to make when she takes over ahead of the Olympics. Maybe it will already be made. Maybe Morgan will have turned it up in the NWSL. Maybe she'll be off to a great start. And there's, there's no doubt you're taking her. Um, but right now, as things are, something something i'm not willing to go everything just yet uh, usa against china a couple games early next month december 2nd and december 5th all right from the women's game let's go to the uh, under 17 world cup hercules gomez in indonesia is where this is going on the u.s falling to uh, france three nothing on saturday kind of a sour end to the group phase Uh, The U.S. actually won their first game 3-1 over South Korea, and then won their second game 2-1 over Burkina Faso. So they finished second in Group E. The big star of the show so far has been a young man named Nifasha uh, Berchimas, 15-year-old from Charlotte FC. Uh, has scored I think three goals yep and he's got the US in the uh, round of 16 they're gonna play Germany in just a few hours actually early Tuesday morning Mexico we know are a power at this level uh, winning it in 2005 and 2011 didn't win their first two games in fact they lost to Germany uh three to one and then drew two two against Venezuela but in the group phase finale they beat New Zealand four and nothing and in fact our guy Fidel Barajas Had uh, one of the four goals against New Zealand. Mexico, for their efforts, finishing second in Group F. uh, And that set up a round of 16 matchup against Mali, who were second uh, in Group B. So here's a look at the graph at the bracket it's USA against Germany, who beat uh, Mexico uh, 3 1 in the opener. That's on the uh, US side of the bracket, which is actually probably the more stacked side. The Mexico side, uh, Mexico gets Mali, and then the winner of Iran against Morocco. And here's the stack side of the bracket. Look at that, uh, Spain has already beaten Japan. So U.S. has to beat Germany, uh, then they'd have to go against Spain, and then probably either Brazil uh, or Argentina in a potential semi-final. So given that information, Herc, Uh, U.S. or Mexico? Who do you think is going to go further at the Under-17 World Cup? Well,
2: can I just really briefly just say, Mm -hmm. uh, Spain and Japan get matched up in every single tournament, men's, women's, youth, Mm -hmm. nationalities, whatever the case may be. The ping pong balls at FIFA. uh, Something's up there. Exactly, exactly. And always great matchups. Anyways, uh, I I think evidently, just looking at the calendar, or should say the bracket, Mm -hmm. um, the immediate game would led me to think that it would be much more complicated for the U.S. men's national team, to play against Germany than it would mm-hmm. for Mexico to play against Mali in Mexico with Fidel Barajas and Stefano Carrillo of Santos Laguna who's a very, very good yes, nine. Yes, they seem to have yes. a good understanding. I could see them going a bit further in that bracket. So I will say Mexico. That said, this U.S. team they've sort of surprised me. If you look at that French game, if you look at the game against France, I know it's the scoreline is 3-0, right? But they were resting a few of their ballers. Uh, Figueroa doesn't start. Uh, this, this young this young guy, Berchimas doesn't start either. The young kid, 15-year-old, by the way, three goals in this tournament. Looks like an absolute baller. He doesn't start, rested. Um, the goals come in at the end of the first half, the very end, and in the last 10 minutes, two goals as they're chasing the game. They may have a chance to surprise Germany. They may have a chance to take it to Germany, especially in transition. But if you look at that bracket, I mean, you beat Germany, you gotta go through Spain. You beat Spain, you know, it's one after the other. It's the harder side of the bracket. So if I have to choose one, I will pick Mexico. Through
1: the first three games, I actually think the U.S. played better from what I saw. I I, I didn't watch every minute of every game. I'm not going to pretend to or to be an expert on these teams, by the way. A lot of times when we look at the bracket, we say, oh, Brazil, Argentina. We're assuming that Brazil and Argentina and Spain are better than Mali at the under-17 level. We don't don't actually know that. But I think the U.S. actually looked better, certainly in their first two games, than than Mexico did. Mexico was really disappointing, uh, especially in the opener against Germany. But this Mexico team we know at the under-17 level... Herc, this is, this is where Mexico excels. We got the two World Cups. And actually, at the last five under 17 World Cups, Mexico's made it to at least the semifinal in four of those tournaments. They were finalists the last time they did this uh, back in 2019. So Mexico has, has great, great pedigree at this tournament. Uh, and the player you mentioned, Carrillo, I mean, that dude's like six foot one at yeah. 17 years old. You know what? I'm projecting a 20. 22-23, the unit that that kid could be. Uh, you mentioned he's from that Santos Academy. What an exciting prospect. Of all the guys on the Mexican team, he's the one that for me has definitely got me uh, the most excited so far here at the Under-17 World Cup. What about you?
2: Yeah, Listen, I love what Santos does. Stefano Carrillo is one of those products from Santos, and Santos just churns them out. If you look at the full national team today, I know everybody's gung-ho on America and being so vital to the national team, but they all have a Mm -hmm. Santos connection. I would say Santos is one of the premier uh, footballing academies in Mexico.
1: There you have it. Uh, Stefano Carrillo, three goals, two against New Zealand, uh, and one in the 2-2 draw against venezuela time for our parting shot herc here on episode 303 of football america's conmebol has announced details of the schedule for next year's copa america and here are the details the opener is going to be played in atlanta on june 20th and the final is going to be held in miami at hard rock stadium there you see it on july 14th what do you think herc is this a Early retirement present for our good
2: friend Lionel Messi? You know it. I don't even know about early (laughs) retirement. I I think this is just good business uh, on their part. They see the possibilities of Argentina making it to the final. They think, Mm -hmm. imagine in Miami, Mm -hmm. Messi's hometown. How great can this be? It is an event town. Miami is an event town. My worry isn't so much the final and it's hard to swallow because you're you're here in Los Angeles and you see what LA can be and you see what was you know Dallas and Arlington and what that can be as well, mm-hmm. but Miami absolutely merits a case for for being a great final. It's the opening game being in Atlanta that I kind of is strange to me. Um, you're just prioritizing the money there, right? If the idea is to play the best brand of football, you don't take it on turf, and if you're telling me that.
1: Uh, no way they'll play it on turf. No way they'll play that game on turf they'll roll a real they'll roll real grass in there. Come well, on, they always that. That's got a solution even more of a problem.
2: Because there there's a team, Atlanta United actually plays games in the summer. So if you're trying mm-hmm. to tell me they're gonna roll turf on it, that's even more dangerous. It takes time for this sod to set on turf. That's even more of mm-hmm. a danger sometimes than the actual turf itself. So that worries me is that we're still prioritizing the dollar instead of the sporting.
1: Hmm. It's funny you say prioritizing the dollar. They could have gone to a bigger stadium than Hard Rock. It holds like seventy thousand. They could have gone somewhere bigger and sold a lot more tickets. Hey, it's not about attendance. If they want to, it's not
2: about attendance. It's about mark. It's about sponsorships. It's about marketing. If you can have Messi in Miami, it, it just sells. It's, okay. Yeah.
1: I yeah, just and came, we know Messi anywhere other than Miami, we know, uh, does not sell,
2: listen, notably. Listen, no, hold time out. I just came back from the Formula One in Las Vegas, and it wasn't full. Whoa, big time. And it wasn't full. But guess what? They did over $7 billion on that week, and it's about selling it. It's about selling the event. I think Miami would be fine selling the event.
1: All right. Uh, what about the weather, by the way? July 14th in Miami? <sighs> whoo, could be hot. Uh, could have some storms. Uh, could be a lot of factors there. But uh, should be a fun day nonetheless. The 2024 Copa América Final. We now know it'll be in Miami July 14th, 2024. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. He's Herc. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. And uh, make sure to come back on Thursday. I know it's Thanksgiving, but it's going to be our Thanksgiving special. So do not miss Thursday? it. We gotta work on Thursday, Thursday, episode 304. I'm supposed of to Football America to this cook. Thursday. I'm supposed to cook. No, this we're, Thursday. we're live
2: from the Thanksgiving dinner table of Hurricane hey, Seb. To be honest, you just put on like a basketball shirt, didn't you? That's not even soccer related. Like, <laughs> exactly. Come on, bro. It's PSG. Show some love.